0: Hey there, it's Scary Parish. It's Thursday, July 6. Welcome back to the Iron College Basketball podcast. I got Matt Norlander with me and I hope you guys everybody enjoyed uh, the holiday. The 4th of July and settled back into to work okay yesterday. It's a rough deal if you're on a normal schedule. Off Saturday and Sunday, work Monday, off Tuesday, back to work on Wednesday. Could throw you off a bit, or at least it it threw me off a bit, but I'm all good now. We're back here on the podcast. Uh one week away from the start of the July evaluation period for college basketball coaches. So it's sorta of slow now, but it should get busy soon. Matt Noilander, what's up with
1: you? Hey man, July is here. Um I got a train. Sounds planning. like a train is also here. The train is here. So yeah, let's just keep rolling with this. Uh, so I live literally 65 yards from a train stop that only runs like seven times a day into New York City. But uh... All
0: right, let me ask you a question real quick.
1: Okay. Because I,
0: in high school, lived in a house that was train tracks were probably about, yeah, 50 yards or so in my backyard. I mean, visible. Like if you stared out my back window, you saw train tracks. And when we first lived there i was like this is insane and after a little while you don't even hear it anymore the only time the only time i would notice it is when i would people would come over who weren't used to it and they'd be like dude there is a train in your backyard and i'd be like i didn't even i don't even hear that anymore is that the way you've gotten
1: yeah the only the only way i hear it is when i'm recording a podcast and the train happens to stop (laughs) or there is a it's hard to explain but um so we live in a, a condo development, and there's another condo development, but it's kind of up a little bit of a hill. And so there's a, a, like a 20-foot cement wall that's about 25, 30 yards long that kind of – You should give that to President Trump. He needs that. He does. And so what happens is the train reverberates off of that wall, and so um, if I'm like watching TV – and the train, like the train will definitely – there's one that comes in and one that leaves within like a 10-minute span every every night between like 7.30 and 7.45. So during the summertime when the windows are open, like you literally have to turn the TV up, you know, 12, 13 notches. But when they're closed, uh, I don't necessarily hear it, but you're absolutely right. You get you get kind of uh, used to it and accustomed to it. But it's it's great because every time I got to go into the city for work or whatever – um, I just usually just have to walk right to that that train station, so that's a that's a huge bonus for the for the here and now. But little it is, it's little, since
0: little reminder that you do not live in the South is that in the summertime you open your windows. That is not something you try down here.
1: That is also a very fair point. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually well, we do rock the AC from time to time, but it's a it's a comfortable seventy-two up here in Connecticut, and it was a good, it was a good fourth. You know, I gotta, you know, we're listen, we are definitely low on content. And we'll get to this in just a second, but. I gotta, I gotta say, I noticed a, a decades-old take that seemed to be revived this year, um, and that is that fireworks suck. And obviously, they suck. They've always sucked. These people that are coming along, thinking that they're passing, passing some some novel information, this is not new. Fireworks have been terrible for decades upon decades. You agree, right? They're they're basically worthless. Like me, the first time you see them is the only time you really ever have to see them.
0: Let me tell you, it, it, fireworks are, and this might be the uh the, the southerner coming out in me you perhaps you're ignorant to this particular topic and if so congratulations but fireworks are a lot like monster trucks follow me here the first time you see a firework display you go oh wow that's pretty that's big that's loud that's interesting and then you never and then that's over you, you never experience that again it's just like okay yeah i just saw that yep looks just like the other one monster trucks same way first time you ever see grave like crush eight cars You go, oh, my God, I just watched a truck jump over eight cars and then land on them and crush them and roll off of them. And then another truck comes out and does the exact same thing. And then another truck comes out and does the exact same thing. And after a while, you're like, I I feel like I'm watching a replay of what I just the colors are changing on the trucks. Once you see one truck crush another car, you don't need to see it again. Once you see one firework explode in the sky, you don't need to see that again either. I agree. You ever ever been to a monster truck show?
1: I, I have not. <laughs> you should have grew up in North. Should have grew up in North Mississippi then. Yeah, exactly. I've never been to a monster <laughs> truck show, and I have not been to a fireworks display in years. I probably got one more year before my my boy wants to uh, go experience that, which is fine. I got no problem doing it, but it's yeah the the fascination with fireworks. I don't know. It kind of. So- kind of baffles me. So my
0: boy, my middle boy is 3 years old and so this time last year he was 2 years old and we were out of town, we were at the beach for the 4th and the the resort we were at had this, you know, massive fireworks display and he was terrified. Like I've I've got the picture on my Instagram page, I believe. There's a picture of me holding him and he's just like screaming as if like if if, if you couldn't tell on the other side of the camera if, if it's a fireworks display or Jason from Friday the 13th. Or a man with a chainsaw, or an army with fifty guns pointed at us—like he has that, like genuine uh, terror. Uh, He, like, he, he is genuinely frightened for his life about these fireworks. So, fast forward a year, and we're like okay well maybe he's three now so maybe he'll enjoy the fireworks because there is an age where kids start to enjoy fireworks there's an age where they're terrified by them and then they enjoy them and then they're bored by them and then they get it old enough to try to take a girl to watch him so that they can like make out or something and <laughs> that's sort of the the, the time frame sure. on fireworks and so i said okay maybe it's three years old uh you know he'll be a, he'll enjoy them so i talked to him about it, and he's like yeah dad i want to get fireworks well our neighbors are I, I, though i live in the south i'm probably the the least southern person who like lives in my in north mississippi like i don't um i've never been hunting i don't fish um i don't have a confederate flag never owned one uh you know all these things but like i've got neighbors who are very southern like uh, decent awesome people but like they're really into trying to to put together the biggest fireworks display they can put together in their front yard and so like we don't even have to like go to the fireworks stand although we we subsequently did but like we just have to walk outside to our to our neighbors on either direction and they like they went all out like they spent real money and like bought real things like they were putting on a a fireworks display at city field except it wasn't at city field it was like in front of our house and uh sure enough like first fireworks i oliver's all excited he wants to go he's pumped up let's go outside daddy let's go outside we walk outside first one boom he is screaming again like terrified like wants to go inside and perhaps this isn't good parenting but i've i've just made him sit there and like and deal with it and try to get used to it but the next morning On July 4th morning, actually, because down here, we'll pop them on July 3rd. We'll pop them again July 4th. And if we got some left over, those things can go on July 5th, 6th, 7th, or 8th. And so um, the next morning I got up, I took him to the fireworks stand, and I said, you can pick out anything you want. And he said, Dad, uh, what does this one do? And I said, well, that one's this, this, this. He said, is it loud or is it pretty? I said, well, that one's more loud. He said, okay, I don't want that one. He likes the pretty ones, not the loud ones. And so we'll try again when he's four.
1: So real quick, just to wrap this up, two nights ago... Uh, so we got a, we have a, a guest parking lot right next to our our condo building, and I mean there is a devastatingly loud pop, and I instantly know it's someone let, letting off fireworks. Um, hear it again, like thirty seconds later. Look out! Sure enough, people all of fifteen yards from my window <laughs> lighting off fireworks in this thing, and it's like it's it is yeah, it's Tuesday night when this happens, and it's like. 9:45 at night and in our in our little area there there are probably I don't know there are, there's got to be at least 600 people that live in this area and I'm thinking I can't believe that I have to go do this but I do so I walk outside and I go I'm expecting like two or three high school kids right right and I'm like guys I'm so sorry to have to ask you to do this but I've got I've got a baby even though it's he's technically a toddler but details details and he's and I point I'm like he is right in that window and he's only not woken up yet because his air conditioner is on but it's going to be a disaster if he wakes up could you please go anywhere else and do this and the guy had like, kind of, he, had like a she- he had like a sheepish grin on him he's like yeah sure and then fr- from out behind the truck pops like these two like five-year-old kids that are with them, Uh, and I'm like, and it was was two sets of dads with their kids, and I'm like, it's like 9.50 at night, and you have kids, like, why would you do this right there? So, it was my rare foray into being a grumpy old man, but at the same time, I was totally justified. Like, it's a Tuesday night in a populated area, and they were launching legitimate fireworks. Hold on now, is
0: it Tuesday, July 4th?
1: No, so it was Monday, July third, because okay. July sixth, right? Yes. It was Monday, July third. It was the day before the fourth you. of July. And I feel like I on think,
0: July third and July fourth, you just sort of gotta
1: take it. And on July fifth Dude, not when you got a kid that's gone to sleep and you know if he wakes up. It's I, just, I, yeah, I I kill. I feel like on July third, July fourth you gotta take it, and on July fifth,
0: it's like all right, cut it out. How about this? Um so and, and by the way, that is an example of something you end up doing as you get older and become a parent that you never thought you would do. Right. Like, like I hated that. I had to go out. Like the, and the, out right. I had to do the it. first time you tell somebody, Hey, those fireworks are too loud. Or I had this moment at some point over the past decade. The first time I called down to the front desk at a hotel, and say hey the people next the people next to me are being too loud like the idea that i would ever call and complain about the room next to me cuz they're clearly like having a party in the hotel you know like they're just partying in the hotel which is like there there was a a version of me once upon a time who would be like all right, I'm gonna throw some pants on and go knock on the door and just like see what's up, see see what they get into. <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> and, then, and then a time before that, you
1: wouldn't have even thrown on the pants. So <laughs> right,
0: that, but. right. Yeah, but like there was a time like I hit zero and I was like, "Well, yo, you got to come do something about these people." Like I, it's two thirty in the morning and I've got to get up early. And like I'm, then I hang up the phone and I go, "What, what, what happened to me? What, what happened to me? How did I become the person complaining about loudness um, in a hotel?" So we're talking about fireworks. God, what was the other thing I was gonna say? You said no something. Idea. You said well, there something. there
1: were two dads with kids. They were lighting off fireworks. I was the old man. I yeah. To walk out oh, here's room. what I was
0: going to say. Okay. So when Kelly and I first got pregnant with our first son, Aiden, we, um, we moved. This is so stupid. They, like, you just. By the way, if you're young and, uh, and expecting, don't ever still try to live a certain lifestyle that you lived before, right? Because we lived downtown like like literally right off of Bill Street in downtown Memphis and and so it was just like you know I'd, I'd get off work she'd get off work we'd go have drinks and dinner and friends and all that stuff well th- well then now we're pregnant and so we said okay we can't raise a kid on we can't be ha- we can't have a baby on Bill Street that seems a little ridiculous although te- you know technically we could have but like it seemed a, a little ridiculous and i said so let's um i tell you what like let's get a little bit out of downtown and by a little bit out of downtown i meant like five blocks like it's still really technically downtown it's just not in the hustle bustle you might walk out of your building and there's a a a 22 year old girl asleep passed out from drinking till five in the morning the night before like let's get a little bit out and so we moved to uh uh right behind AutoZone park which is the memphis redbirds baseball stadium downtown the triple a team affiliate of the st louis cardinals and so it's a nice little place had a nice little you know gated deal and uh you know pool in the middle of the complex and like it's spacious and, and we're just not in the hustle and bustle. Like you don't walk out of that apartment and just sort of walk into the bar like you could. Like literally in our other apartment, the bar was downstairs in the bottom floor of our apartment building. And so we move over there in the summer and uh, and we we'd never put – like we never thought about it even for a second. Uh, they're playing baseball every night. <laughs> like yep. like a break, crack of the bat baby like it's not even the crack of the bat first off the part of like you it's so stupid the stuff you convince yourself of i was like you know this will be cool because like it's it's a little more relaxing than where we were but we're still accessible to downtown and like yo it'll be awesome we can sit on our patio and watch watch baseball and then you go, but why the, why the hell would you want to sit on your patio and watch AAA baseball? Like, who, who wants to do that? That's not fun. Like, I want to sit on my couch and watch the Mets. not I want to sit on the, the the patio and watch AAA baseball. So you sell yourself on this one aspect of it that you're never actually going to enjoy or want to do. But then the other thing is, every time they win, you know what happens? Fireworks. Oh, boy. Every time. After every game. So about 10 o'clock every night with a baby. <laughs> Boom. Boom. I was like, what are we doing? We had, we actually cut our lease short. Like I paid, I don't even know how much money to get out of that lease. And I was like, we uh, did. I was like, now we're moving to like the legit suburbs, like a house with a driveway and a backyard and no ballparks nearby and no fireworks nearby. So, uh, I, I understand what you're saying about the fireworks can be disruptive, but I do feel like on July 3rd, July 4th, you got to just kind of take it. You're an American for crying out loud. You're a Patriot.
1: Maybe yeah, you're not a I, pa- maybe you're not a patriot. No, I, I certainly, uh, I certainly would define myself as a blue-blooded patriot, I suppose, <laughs> or a red-blooded. I forget what it is, but anyway, uh, both red, white, and blue. Um, but no, 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 no. Like if it was at like eight fifteen, I'd be cool. But we are we were inching closer to ten o'clock at night. Yeah,
0: uh, is- I get it. I a,
1: agree to disagree.
0: Agree to to disagree.
1: Hey, hey uh, let's let's talk about college
0: basketball. I, I guess think. if we, I guess if we have to, I think we're contractually obligated to at least mention it. So we'll start with, "Hey, I know you went to Indianapolis last week I and sp- <laughs> spent some time with Laval Jordan, the new Butler coach. What did you learn about that?" Yeah, uh, I. Went
1: <laughs> oh, first off, first her. off, I love your
0: tweet on your column. This is the tweet. The sto-
1: I don't even remember. The,
0: the story of how and why little-known 38-year-old LaVal Jordan got the Butler job and where it all began. And I'm like, okay, um, I'll I raise my hand. I'm like, let me, let me try without even reading. How he got the job because Chris Holtman left for Ohio State. And why he got the job because he used to play at Butler and uh, Butler always hires people connected to Butler. Anything else I need
1: to know? There's tons that you need to know. <laughs> and... And also, generally speaking, I mean, people have no idea who Laval Jordan is. Um, so, yeah, I had to go to Indy for a, for a few things, but I stopped in there. And, uh, yeah, you should read the feature. Laval's a nice guy. Um, he, yeah, I actually talked to Barry Collier, their AD. So, real quick, let me just hit on this real quickly. Um, the idea that, you know, Butler guy, Butler always hires Butler people. That's definitely been proven in the Collier era. Uh, but Barry actually, he, had, he told me that, he knows that it looks that way, and it kind of is, um, but he does not. He does not restrict uh, outside candidates. In fact, he said he's seriously considered non-Butler candidates um, in recent hirings. Uh, but it's just so as it goes, uh, Laval was one that I think got really, really, really close to getting the job the last time when Holtman got it, and when Holtman wound up leaving think laval had the edge over every other candidate before the process actually started he interviewed very well again and then so he gets it but um but was it what was interesting was because they've hired butler guys basically since collier's been the ad um laval wasn't even sure where he was going to go to school necessarily he took a trip to butler and then uh, his father who was 34 Four or 33 at the time because he was a child of teenage pregnancy. His parents never married. His dad was 16 years old when he was born. And uh, he said, you know, what else could you possibly want than what we just saw there? And this was when Butler was not Butler as we know it now. This is 1996. They're in the Horizon League. They hadn't won an NCAA tournament game in decades. Um, so it's just like a totally like, you know, not even remotely close to being a top 100 program or anything like that. And he kind of was just convinced by it based off a conversation with his father. Well, that decision winds up, uh, you know, this, that and the other have to happen. But it it leads to him being the Butler coach now. And uh, and now he's you know, I think we talked about this on the podcast a little bit, but he does have an interesting challenge ahead of him because there is a general question as to whether, you know, Butler uplifts its coaches or vice versa is a little bit of both. But the Big East is a very, very good league at this stage and Holtman had had done so much more than anyone had expected him to do there, and so now Jordan is benefited with the roster that he inherits. Um, so he's in a good position. I think it's fair to say that if Butler is not successful over the next three to four years, and if you wanted to define success as simply making the NCAA tournament, if it falls short of that, I think it's, it's squarely on Collier with the hire and, and Laval overall. I think he's capable of it. You really can't ask for a better situation than right now because the fact of the matter is, Butler as a program in its entire history has never been in a better position than it is now, coming off three straight NCAA tournaments and with the recruiting class. I understand that Kyle Young, who was the best recruit and an Ohio native, followed Holtman to Ohio State. But even like obviously making the championship games and getting that to boost you into the A-10 was a great time for Butler. But the program on the recruiting front – relevancy in a top four league i mean it's never been a better position than it is right now
0: he's certainly getting the job in a better situation than chris holtman got the job right uh i mean
1: no question yeah. holtman's down to like six players that have any college experience heading into the next season ohio state will oh. not be above 500 i don't think
0: oh yeah no i that's true but i also meant like in the position that Holtman, oh, got, the like, Butler like job. Holtman took. Oh yeah. 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 Oh, I wow. mean, like, <laughs> it is, it's sort of funny. Like, uh, and don't feel sorry for Chris. He's got like, I think $24 million. Right. But, um, man, his two, he's gotten two great jobs under like the worst circumstances you could possibly get them. Like Butler, uh, you know, when Brandon Miller takes a, a leave of absence and they're not projected to be good at all, like that's tough. And then now this Ohio state situation, they're just, you know, they, um, they removed Thad because they knew they weren't going to be good. But since they removed Thad Mata, um, now it looks like they're going to be even worse, right? I mean, there's not a whole lot of evidence to suggest that that team's going to be able to compete even close to the middle of the Big Ten. So, yeah, they're going to be bad. And there's actually a article in one of the uh, papers in Ohio. I, I'm not – I forgive me. I don't remember which one, but I just sort of I skimmed it this morning that you know suggests that uh, the class of 2018 is going to be a, a it looks shaping up to be per, perhaps a lost class for Ohio State because uh, of the transition and and they've already lost one recruit I think to Syracuse, um, you know it's just um it's it, the timing was was less than I, ideal for for Holtman but with Laval I would say this because I've had a couple people ask me like do you think it's going to work and here's the truth when it comes to and I know he does have technically head coaching experience but for all practical purposes he's a he's a first-time head coach I mean he just inherited a mess at Milwaukee you know coached it to like 11 wins and like he got the Butler job not because of anything he did at Milwaukee you know like Chris Beard got the Texas Tech job first the UNLV job then the Texas Tech job because of what he did in one year at Little Rock uh, Laval got the got the Butler job because of you know where he decided to play college basketball a long time ago I, I know it's not that simple but you get the point um, when it comes to assistant coaches. Guys who have never done it, you just don't know. Like there are guys who I thought would be disastrous head coaches who have actually been fine, like done okay. And then there are guys who I thought, like, yeah, he's going to be great, and it just hasn't worked for a little while. You know, it just hasn't worked for whatever reason. Like if you would have told me the day that Kerry Keating got the Santa Clara job, like and said, okay, now outline Kerry Keating's career, I'd have said, all right, he builds this thing up to, you know, top three in the West Coast Conference. And then he takes a Pac-12 job. You know, maybe someday replaces Ben Hallen at UCLA because, like, Carey had he checked every box. You know, had like. Um a, 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 a great recruiting record you know Recruited kevin love and a lot of those guys had obviously worked under a great head coach and ben hallen like had west coast ties because of you know his years at ucla when they were going to three final fours and it just like at santa claire like it just never got it never got going really you know i know he built it to respectability for temporarily but it just it never took off and now he's not coaching anymore um, you know, when Derek Kellogg got the UMass job and like Derek had more success at UMass than S- Kerry had at Santa Clara, perhaps because UMass is easier to win at than Santa Clara. But like Derek checked all the boxes, like had coached under a accomplished coach in John Calipari, had a had a name within the industry because of, uh, you know, had been an effective recruiter, uh, had strong ties to the region. Like he grew up in Massachusetts, played at UMass and yeah, he went to an NCAA tournament and like, but it just like it 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 never turned into what I thought it was going to turn into. So you just don't know. And so, you know, anybody out there trying to speak definitively about how the Laval Jordan era is going to go at Butler. Like they're probably, they're guessing more than anything else. Like it, it could be spectacular just like the Brad Stevens era was, and the Chris Holtman era was, but it could also be not great because sometimes that happens to guys, even when they seem to check all the boxes that you need to check to be a successful uh, division one head coach.
1: I agree. Uh, I'm uh, personally, I am, as intrigued with what happens with Butler in the next three years than really almost any program, because I don't, I, I just don't know, um, regarding Laval, if it's going to totally work or not. Um, what Holtman was able to do was magnificent. Um, it, it just, it was way beyond anyone's expectations to make the tournament three years, get to a sweet 16, win a tournament game every, every year there. um, I actually, you know, I don't want to be too over the top here, but I almost feel as though if Butler is really good and this year and then next year, um, I, I, I feel as though it will have hit a definitive uh, plane, so to speak, of, okay, like, it, it's, it's firmly entrenched as a Big East power, as, as a national power. It has a national brand. Um, but if it dips here, I could, I could see a situation where if it dips, Jordan doesn't work. Maybe Butler spirals a little bit and kind of lives in that bottom third of the Big East for the next half decade. I think both of those are on the table. Real quick, I wanted to share a good story that Jordan had shared with me, but it wasn't. It didn't fit in the story whatsoever. You had mentioned Brad Stevens. You telling me um, you had, you
0: got 2,400 words on about Jordan? You couldn't fit something in?
1: Hey, it was it was actually it was like 2,100. But yeah, okay, take it easy there. Felt like hey, um, felt like 24. Uh, <laughs> so, I think so. And, I no, don't. no, I'm ju- I'm just, I'm just, I'm just you know, giving you yes. ass. But know, like, what,
0: what, one it. thing I did think was funny is like, Laval tells you, like, I didn't even think I was, you know, I didn't think I would get the job.
1: He, he said that. I know. I'm like, I'm like and, dude,
0: everybody thought you would get the job. Like, I thought you would get the job.
1: <laughs> and the way he, I, he was, he laid out a convincing case, but yeah, he, he maintains he, he didn't. I was, was like, like, you, you, job. really, you didn't think you were getting the job? Because literally everybody else thought you were getting the job. So, um, Laval is an assistant back, uh, back, I guess in 2007, Butler reaches the sweet 16. Stevens is the coach, uh, sorry, Licklider is the coach. Stevens is an assistant. Um, that's the year that they lose to Florida in the sweet 16 and Florida goes on to win a second straight NCAA championship. And that was actually the closest game by margin of victory. Florida played in the entire tournament was the, uh, the defeat over Butler. And, as Laval told it and remembered it, you know, Butler cuts to like four or five points with a few minutes to go. And uh, there's a player that played for Butler named Brandon Crone, who was a senior, kind of a, a really good interior presence and and really was a difference maker for Butler in terms of keeping that game in check. I uh, not,
0: not only do I remember him, I feel like I might have wrote about him at some point. Does he have some sort of interesting story?
1: I can't remember. It doesn't matter. Go ahead. Okay. So this is just a fun little anecdote there. So um, with like four minutes to go, uh, Horford gets the ball in the post and elbows Krohn in either the chest, the face, the neck or something like that. And it's like, you know, an aggressive forward motion. But Krohn had four fouls. He gets ch- called for the block. He fouls out. Um Butler can't capitalize off the run they'd gone on Florida goes on to win and all that stuff. And, uh, it really, uh, you know, it burned crone and the staff at all, all that in the moment there. Was Butler's, you know, they're, they're, high point. I mean, they, they hadn't reached a sweet 16 I think ever at that point. And so fast forward, uh, Stevens gets the Celtics job and takes over and, um, you know, Horford, uh, is on the team. Right. And the first thing he does is he calls Horford into the office and goes, Hey, he puts on the video screen. You tell me right now, is that a block or is it a charge? And he, <laughs> and he rewinds. I think that is so uh, indicative of how coaches think. They never forget those things. They never. never forget those possessions. They can tell you where everyone was on the floor. And I think it's just it's fantastic that Stevens, who was an assistant at that point, still vividly remembered. And I mean, that's what, six, seven years later. He calls Horford into his office and says, hey, we got we to gotta talk about something here. No. You need to tell me right now. You know that was a charge. You know it. And I thought that was a great story.
0: Yeah. No. And I don't even think it's uh, – I don't think it's unique to coaches. I just think people in general, particularly competitive people um, – like I obviously never played Division One basketball or Division One anything. But I can think back to moments in my childhood – whether it was a soccer game or a baseball game, like that was a high stake high stakes game relative to what we're talking about here, which is youth competition. Um, and I can like I could I could walk you through m- moments of state championship baseball game right now and be like, okay, if this doesn't happen, but then if this does happen, then yeah, we're probably advancing and then we're favored to win the state title. Like I, um, and that's like 20 years ago and more than 20 years ago. And so. Um, I've never met a coach who, if you sat down with them, I've always found this interesting, and it just shows you—it sort of goes, falls in line with what we're talking about. About like sometimes this stuff works out for coaches, sometimes it doesn't, and the, the, you know, it, it could be really be one bounce here, one foul here, one injury here. I've never met a coach who couldn't. Uh, first off, I'll say this: I've never met a fired coach who, if you sat down with them and said, "All right, walk me through it. What happened?" couldn't walk you, couldn't tell you about this one recruit that they thought they had, but then somebody paid and got him to go somewhere else, or they thought they had, and then they couldn't get him into school or, you know, that, that, that cost them in their mind, or there's like a season when they're on the, they're, they're on the hot seat and they're also on the bubble. And all they needed was one more win to, to get an at large bid to the NCAA tournament and a referee whose name they absolutely remember, called a fourth foul on their starting point guard, you know, four minutes into the second half, and they had to sit him down for the next 10 minutes, and the other team went on a 12-2 run, and, like, they all have this story, and it, it, like, it doesn't matter whether it's reality or not. They can walk you through, like, sometimes a possession-by-possession sequence of their career that led to them sitting in front of me as a fired coach, and likewise – um, I've never met a coach who has lost a high-stakes game that seemed within grasp that couldn't walk you through it and say, now, if you go back to this possession, there's 2-12 left, um, we've got the ball, we're up one. And then my point guard dribbles it off his foot. Like, like what They can walk you through every bit of it, which sort of transitions into a column I wrote over the past week, uh, which is uh, about Mark Few, sort of three months after, losing a national championship game because Carolina closed on I don't know if it was a 60 run seven-zero run like it was a it was a pretty significant run in the final few minutes people forget that with a hundred seconds left one minute 40 seconds 100 seconds left that game's tied 65 65 like that 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 game is totally up in the air and Gonzaga you know I talked to Mark about it and he was he was like yeah well, you know he like North Carolina was good we were good too. And if you play it over, like they'll win five, we'll win five, you know, like, that. you know, he does not concede that they weren't the best team in the country. He, he means he, he doesn't mean to take anything away from Roy and North Carolina and those players, but the idea that they weren't good, he, he's like, no, we were good enough to win it. We could have won it. If you play it over 10, 10 more times, they'll win five and we'll win five. Um, but it, it was just an inter- it was a funny conversation because he actually called me just to sort of needle me a little bit about having a 2018 mock draft up already. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> he, he left me like a two-minute voicemail. Like, so I'm looking at your mock draft, and he's like – it, it was funny. I probably shouldn't share too much about the voicemail, but it, it was innocent enough. He was, like, he was like, your family can handle something like that, and my family could handle something like that. But there are families out there who see their kid projected as the eighth pick in a draft a year from now and when they get on a college campus and it's not going that way it's the coach's fault or it's somebody's fault or they're freaking out because they feel like they've just lost 10 million dollars when they haven't really lost anything because they were never going to be the eighth pick in the draft and I like I told him a I hear you b dude I work in online journalism (laughs) like 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 mock drafts and, and lists and rankings that's sort of that's sort of where we're at right now and so but uh we ended up on the phone for about an hour one day last week and we're talking about everything about everything and uh you know the one and done situation where where it's going transfers where that's going and at some point and like we're talking about the championship game and he's he's going you know like i because i don't know if you remember on the famous play where kennedy meeks is out of bounds you know like like securing the ball but he's like so clearly out of bounds mark's like I didn't even see it, you know. Yeah, it's on the opposite. It was
1: impossible to see from his yeah. vantage point. Right. I didn't see it either. Yeah.
0: Yeah. He, he was like, "I'm on the other end of the court. I didn't even see it." So, like, people are saying, "Could you have reviewed that?" And, uh, and it turns out, I think, technically speaking, they could not have reviewed that. Mark could not have like said, "Go review that." But like, he was like, "I didn't even know to be mad. Like, I, I didn't raise hell because I didn't know I should. I couldn't. I didn't no idea." He's like, "It's weird because you, you know, he's like that later that night." Like, he sees that replay on, on Twitter or, like, on Center or wherever it is you might see that replay. And he's like, it's, he's, like, so clearly out of bounds. But, like, he said, you have to understand, from my vantage point, it looked like he wasn't even close to out of bounds. So we're walking through all of this stuff. And I'm like, have you ever gone back and, and watched the championship game? And he said, no. And I said, ah, you know, I, I've, heard, I've heard about coaches like this before. Like, Cal, John Calipari will never go back and watch the 2008 title game. He's like, oh, no, no, no. It's not like because I'm avoiding it. He said, I tried to watch it. I was like, what are you talking about? He said, okay, so a month ago, we're about to go on vacation. We're, like, literally leaving the next day. So night before, everybody's packing. I'm like, I'm all packed up. Kids are off doing whatever they're doing. And I'm like, you know, popped a couple beers, sitting on the couch. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to watch the Final Four. Like, I just want to see my guys' faces and just see all the pregame stuff and the – analysis and like the whole thing he didn't just want to watch the game he wanted to watch the whole show you know he
1: wanted to watch the production yeah of america's most watched network right yes on the so, national championship game it's which the, is the network of stars it's the, ne- it's the network
0: of stars right and so he was like i he's like i actually sat down on my couch with a beer grabbed the remote and went to the dvr because i know it's been there i've seen it there before i've just never like taken the time to sit down and watch it and I'm like, oh, well, I got a few hours right now. I just like, it'll be fun. And he's like, so I'm going, it's like, boom, there's like 47 episodes of Modern Family. Because one of my sons is like addicted to Modern Family.
1: And then there's like, which oh, by the way peaked in like season three. I failed <laughs> not long ago. But anyway, continue. And there's
0: like uh, 50 episodes of The Voice. Don't even know why you need 50 episodes of The Voice, but we got them if you need them. Oh, gosh. Uh, like his daughter's into like one of the Disney shows. So there's like a million episodes of that. And he's like, so I just keep scrolling, like, okay, where is it, where is it, where is it? It's not there. And so he goes to his wife, Marcy, and keep in mind, these two, and I'd I'd be hesitant to say this about any other couple because the truth is, like, you just don't know. You don't know what couples get along and what couples don't get along. You know, you don't know what happens behind closed doors. I feel comfortable saying Mark and Marcy have, like, a, a really good marriage. Like and a lot of it, I, I certainly don't know Marcy as, as well as I know Mark, but like Mark is so even kill. Like you know he like he is totally, he's just he's chill basically all the time. Certainly away from the court. Like you might think he's high all the time. <laughs> like like if you're if you're around Mark Few, you'd be like, okay, he just smoked a little bit. And he's just he's relaxed. He just seems relaxed all the time. I've never seen him not relax except for on a basketball court. So my point is like he ain't the type to get mad about stuff. And he's like Marcy, where is? Where is uh, the, the final four? She's like, yeah, I deleted that. He's like, you have deleted it? <laughs> She's like, yeah. He's like, we have like 500 hours of television programming on our DVR. Why would you delete that? She's like, I don't know. I didn't think we'd ever watch it. He's like, what? Oh, man. He's like, I've been in this business 30 years. That's my greatest professional achievement. And I just wanted to like see the my guys' faces and – He was like, he was like, it is the, he's, these are his words, not mine. He said, Marcy and I never argue about anything. Like literally never. I don't mean we rarely argue, never argue about anything. It's just not, it's not our relationship. He's like, it was like a genuine, like WTF moment. Like I was, I was seriously mad. Like for the, he's like, I can't even remember the last time I was mad at my wife. He was like, I was really mad. And I was like, so you still haven't seen it. He said, I haven't seen one minute of it. He said, I even want to watch the Xavier game. You know, like we the, the, we beat Xavier to go to the Final Four for the first time in school history. Do something people swore we'd never do. Gone. I don't have it. So he's like, I got it. Like, I got my video guy. Like, can you get in touch with somebody at CBS to get me copies of everything? He's like, because I would like to watch it one day. But he's like, not only do I not have it, the reason I don't have it is because my wife erased it from the DVR, which I just thought was hilarious.
1: That is good. <laughs> but hold on. So in real time on the podcast right now, so 2017 – National title game, Gonzaga, North Carolina. I'm literally searching YouTube right now, so hold on. Is there a full game on here? I actually don't think YouTube has the full game. Sometimes you'll there's there's the full post post game press conference. There's literally an hour and two minutes post game, Gonzaga, North Carolina. If you search YouTube, like you can find all sorts of title games and all sorts of sports. But yes, and between that and coaches tape. I mean obviously he's going to be able to watch this, but the the actual story is terrific and uh, a major bummer for him and, and just – Yeah, he that, was like, – he, he acknowledged –
0: yeah, he acknowledged like I could probably go find the game on the internet somewhere. But like the, my, the, my v- uh, sort of vision of enjoying this was right. like popping a beer, sitting on my couch, turning on like my big television – and, like, just watching it. Like, I didn't want to watch it on an iPad. You know, I wanted, like, I wanted to watch it, yeah. like, on my couch. And it's like – and I could have, except it got erased by, uh, by my gorgeous and sweet and perfect wife. And so he was uh, – I just thought it was a little – so you just turned that into a little column. And uh, I don't know. It was a nice story, if nothing else, right?
1: I dig it. Yeah. So the only other thing uh, – that was a good story. And Gonzaga, I think, will be a relevant team uh, next year. And certainly, obviously, we'll get back to the tournament. And um, – I, th- I will be not as good as last year, but still has, has, plenty coming back. Um, all right. So the only other thing that happened really since we last talked, if you want to hit this real quick, um, this actually kind of broke late right before I went to Indy and then was kind of playing out as I was traveling. But, uh, so this, this one is actually so good that it it almost feels like it's, it's more suited for the insanity of college football recruiting. But uh, Mo Bamba, Mohamed Bamba, who is going to Texas and who I think is as close to a lock to being a top five pick in next year's draft as you could get because I just think he's so long and good defensively that his potential, I i, I don't think that he could be a Scalabissier situation because his defense and, and his physical attributes, I think, are so good. I would be shocked if he is not a top five pick. But his brother goes on Facebook Live and goes on a 22-minute rant, basically throws his... Uh, Brother under the bus says he took this, this, and this, says there's this guy who's been providing him with goods and stuff. He doesn't trust him. The guy's name is Greer Love. And uh, and so all these allegations says he's already reported him to the NCAA. Says the NCAA is gonna fly down to Texas to interview him, says my brother doesn't want me in Texas, he doesn't want my mom in Texas, he told us to leave. He basically, you know, excommunicated me from him and all this stuff. And it's it's certainly uh, <laughs> It's certainly uh, an interesting video. I, I, I don't even know if it, I would think it's still up if you want to if you want to search the Internet, you can you can find that. So with all of this, then comes the question, OK, is, is Shaka Smart going to totally have his his second, third season at, uh, at Texas undercut by this uh, losing a, a major player? You obviously uh, did the reporting and some digging on that. So, you know, feel free to give your uh, so, the info that you know and what, what all this means.
0: Yeah. OK. So the video is bizarre, right? It's just
1: it is. it's he's just, sitting poolside in some sort of complex development yeah. shirt, like shirt off yeah. and the whole deal and um, dropping the N word every 10 seconds. It's just, right. Yeah. So he's uh, I mean, he's a clown, this guy.
0: Right. And it, it doesn't mean that what he's saying is untrue. It just means he's a clown uh, because like uh, why would you do this to your brother? I mean, you got to be a bad, like a fundamentally a bad person, to try to quote, expose another person, particularly your brother, who by all accounts is a decent young man, decent, thoughtful, intelligent young man. And so the backstory here is that the guy in the video is Mobamba's half brother. And he wants to represent Mo Bamba. Like he sees his little brother as his money ticket, right? Guy's clearly got nothing going on. In fact, he's been arrested like at least three different times in this year for forgery, drug stuff, like all sorts of crazy stuff. Um, And so Mo Bamba is his his ticket. And he's like, wherever you go to school, I'm going to go to school. I'm going to get my agent's license, which is not going to happen, by the way. But he could be the in-between between between Mo and an agent. Like he's thinking that the way I'm going to make my living is through my little brother. Um, not unlike other guys have done before, most famously, or at least somewhat famously, Reggie Rose with Derrick Rose, and so apparently he wanted to, to, you know, do exactly what you know, all that, and Mo Bamba just said like that, like, no, you're not going to be my agent, like I'm, like he, Mo Bamba, like really could be the number one pick in the draft. I think he's probably a top five pick at worst, just because of the reasons you stated. He can alter shots, block shots. He's got a, a unique. Uh, wingspan, like he just he's he's a he's an interesting interesting talent, and so he's like no, like I'm not gonna let a criminal like by the way you're my half brother I love you on some level but you're a criminal like you're not gonna be my agent like this is a disaster, and so if the guy didn't take the hint um, along the way like he finally got it, so then I'm told like he like started sending threatening letters, uh, you know, and 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 making vague threats to the Texas staff and like asking for money. And I don't know the numbers exactly, but hypothetically speaking, give me twenty-five thousand dollars, or I'm going to expose you. Give me fifty thousand dollars, I'm going to expose you. And finally, everybody just said, "No, do 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 what you got to do." But like you're bananas, and we're not dealing with you. And so then that that's the video, right? So I'm sitting here one night last week, and um, got the grill going, just like hanging out, watching a baseball game, having a drink, watching, uh, you know, feeding my family with meat. And uh, and this video pops up, so I'm like, whoa, whoa! So I watch it, and I'm like, I don't even know what to do with this. It's crazy. But by the next morning, it was like a real story. Like you know, it was it was making the rounds. This video had, had had gotten around a little bit, and so you start making the phone calls on it. And what you find out is that everything I just told you. But then also, very quickly, when I made like three phone calls, nobody connected to Mobamba tried to pretend that Mo didn't have a relationship with Career Love, the financial advisor. Nobody tried to pretend that. You know, if the brother's saying Greer's been giving him money or giving him gifts, nobody said, oh, no, Greer never gave him anything, which was interesting to me because, like, usually you get the denial first, right? No, nobody ever took anything. That's all lies. Nobody told me. Like, nobody told me Greer Love never gave Mo bomba anything. Instead, what you start to hear is, yeah, like, they, they, like this guy has been a mentor to Mo and literally has known him since he was in third grade, like, was his third grade basketball coach. And so then you go to Greer Love's bio on his – Website and it, it mentions that he was a, you know, he runs some sort of mentorship program at Harlem school, at, 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 at public school. I want to say it's 108, but whatever it is, it doesn't matter. In Harlem, then you find out that is where Mobamba went to, to elementary school. And so they have what the NCAA considers a pre existing relationship. And right. so uh, to bottom line this, um, even if Mobamba has been taking money and gifts from this financial advisor, There's a better than good chance that the NCAA doesn't do anything about it, that it doesn't become an NCAA issue because they have a pre-existing relationship. And, um, you know, the the NCAA can't get involved in that. It is why, and this story might be unfamiliar to basketball fans, but like The Blind Side, the movie, you know, with Michael Orr and the Tui family and, you know, uh, uh, that whole deal. Um, the reason that was all, because the Tui family is a wealthy family in Memphis, both Ole Miss grads, and they adopted Michael Orr, and then he he went and played football at at Ole Miss, and then became a you know NFL player for many many years. Well, the when people first heard about this story, it was like, oh wow, this rich white family adopts this black kid from inner city Memphis, and then and then they they shove him to Ole Miss to be an offensive lineman. You know, this is, oh, wow, this is, like, they just bought an offensive lineman. And so my, my initial position was always, if you're willing to, uh, like, take a kid out of a bad situation, put him into a great situation, and, like, I don't care where you send him to school. Like, that you're doing something good. You know, uh, big picture, like, you've, you've, you've probably saved somebody's life. But beyond that, it was never an NCAA issue because when they actually started their relationship with Michael Orr, it was all re- rooted in, like, genuine stuff. He had never played football. He played football after he started living with the Tuies. You know, they like they, they didn't adopt a five star football prospect. They adopted a, a a a big kid who had never played football, but who needed help. And so this isn't that, but this is similar. Because the Tui's had a pre existing relationship with Michael Orr, it didn't like they could have paid him whatever they wanted and then paid him to go to Ole Miss, and it would have all been fine. Uh, similarly, it appears that that Greer Love is is in the clear here. Um, the only exception to that would be if the NCAA could prove. That once upon a time, when Mo was fourth grade, fifth grade, seventh grade, you know, he'd get 20 bucks here to go grab a pizza or whatever from Greer or like, you know, like uh, whatever. And then it jumped up to $500 a week, you know, when he became a clear future NBA draft prospect. Then they might have a problem, but my indications are that the NCAA has already looked into this and, you know, it, it is what it is. And I suspect that we will. Never hear another word about it. I do, I mean, I mean, you might hear another word about it because somebody blogs about it sometime. But is it ever going to be an NCAA issue? I doubt it. Is it going to be something that causes Mo Bamba to miss even a one minute of one game? I doubt it.
1: Yeah, I think the NCAA uh, simply has to, and maybe it already has, um, you know, followed up with his uh, with his half brother just because there could be things that he shared or you know can allege. That maybe he didn't uh, or maybe the NCAA wasn't aware of the first time around. But that is probably the likely outcome here. Um, the only question is if we get more information, uh, you know, the the thing to remember in, in cases, you know, like this or not like this is the um, the character of the person in question doesn't really play a factor. It's what information they have that they can prove. Right. Um, that's the biggest thing because oftentimes, uh, when things like this come to light, it's because someone's been burned. That's usually well most of the time. The only time that you're even going to get stuff like this is because someone's not getting theirs. You know.
0: Well, let, uh, let me stop you there for a second because you make a good point here. If you're the NCAA, you absolutely go talk to this brother, and here's why. Not only is Mobamba connected to Greer Love, which might end up being nothing. Mobamba was a five-star recruit who was recruited by some of the biggest basketball programs in America, and you've clearly got somebody who's willing to talk. Now, whether he's willing to tell the truth about everything, I don't know. Whether you can use him, I don't know, but you'd be a fool not to talk to him just to to ask him about everything he knows about the entire recruitment of Mobamba and who did what, where what came from where, where did you go on visits, that kind of stuff because it's not unlike um Oh God! Who was the big
1: player at uh, the big
0: lineman at Ole Miss? Um,
1: uh, Kim D.J.?
0: No, no, no. He was at uh, Ole Miss football stepdad. Uh, I'll get it. It's a Google search. I can't here.
1: remember. Larry Tunsil. Okay. Tunsil. Yes, yeah. Yes, yeah. Yes, famously, famously yeah. had the the
0: bong gas mask yeah. <laughs> on draft yes. night. So yeah. the part of the reason Ole Miss is in like serious stuff right now is because Larry Tunsil had a falling out with his stepfather. The stepfather was, like, wild, like, asking for this, asking for that. And then when he didn't get what he wanted, like, ratting him out and calling the NCAA and calling calling everybody, right? Well, the NCAA says, all right, like, this guy might be crazy and he might be a bad guy. And, like, what kind of man does this to his stepson? But he's talking, so let's hear what he has to say. And so they went and talked and spent a lot of time with him. And I don't know exactly what they got from that, but they got something from that. And so if you're the NCAA, you absolutely sit down with Mo Bamba's stepbrother just to ask about anything and everything. But um, do I ever think the relationship between Greer Love and – which is a great name, by the way – between Greer Love and Mo Bamba is going to lead to problems for Texas? I'd be surprised. And it's also worth noting that in 22 minutes of wild allegations, the guys never once said that Shaka Smart or anybody on the Texas staff had anything to do with anything. Like there's no no allegations about the Texas staff, which is – if nothing else, good for the Texas staff,
1: right? And so, just one last point of clarification on this. So, with that, um, it, you know, if that's in, you know, if that's the case, um, this sort of investigation does not go to the enforcement level with the NCAA because Texas is not involved. Mobamba would only be dealing with the NCAA's eligibility center at this point and an investigation thereof, just to make sure. That His amateur status amateurism status uh, is still on the up-and-up So the only time that the NCAA and its enforcement staff and you know, people think oh, Texas is gonna get slammed You know, whatever that kind of stuff that would have to go to enforcement first Um, They'd have to build a case and then it would go to something like the Committee on Infractions after that But we're not even remotely getting into that uh, element because There's no reason as of this point to think that Texas was remotely involved
0: before we get out of here. Not only do I want to shout out Devin Downey, but I want to say congratulations to the great Devin Downey because as of this morning, oh, yes. our friend Jonathan Gavoni tweeted uh, from Draft Express that Devin Downey has agreed to terms with, forgive me if I don't get it exactly right, Leones de Santo Domingo in the Dominican Republic. Devin Downey will be playing professional basketball again this season. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M. Effin Teagle. Devin Downey plays one more time at least
1: one more time at least it was you know I cooked up a nice little English muffin little cream cheese open up my computer Check out Twitter. What do I see? The first thing is a notification from (laughs) Gavoni I mentioned you and me about the continuation of Devin Downey's um, Tremendous we should fly to the
0: Dominican Republic and go to a game (laughs) What like what's at expense? (laughs) (laughs) We'll try and we can put in the request Ten that times
1: would <laughs> that would be an, an all timer to go to a game and, and do a podcast. How about this? Right down there.
0: How about this? So immediately, our buddy Evan Daniels uh, texts me, right, and he says, "Small world, but guess who owns? Uh, not owns, but runs Leonis de Santo Domingo, one of his buddies. Like one of Evans, like actual, like real friends, runs the team. So guess oh, who? Gosh. So like, I, I don't know how that happened, but apparently it happened, right? So guess." Well, Guess who might end up with a game-worn Devin Downey, Leonis de
1: Santo Domingo jersey? Oh, a game-worn. Oh,
0: wow. <laughs> I, I would only want it game-worn. And then I would sleep in it every night and dream well, about
1: great is you and Devin Downey are, like, the same size. I know. <laughs> it, is, I it is cool. Like, it won't even – just fit me perfectly. Like, it I might it'd be my new favorite shirt.
0: And I'll, I'll put it on every night before I go to bed. And I'll, uh, I'll uh, kiss my children goodnight. And then I'll go to sleep and I'll dream about January 26, 2010, when the great Devin Downey put 30 points, five rebounds, three assists uh, on Kentucky in a 68 62 victory. It, of course, was the first ever loss for John Calipari at the University of Kentucky.
1: Man, I, I wondered how we were going to get to 25 minutes. Like
0: <laughs> Remember, you can. Well, we spent 15 minutes on fireworks. Sure. <laughs> you can subscribe to the island college basketball podcast on itunes so please do that thank you all for listening and uh we'll be back uh, next week the evaluation period gets started so we'll have something actual to talk about Till then take care